Chapter 10 For three days I stood at that prow. We did not stay over on an island again. The oarsmen worked in shifts, sleeping on the deck. Daedalus repaired the rail, then took his turn among them. He was unfailingly polite, offering food and wine, a bedroll. But he did not linger. What did I expect? I had loosed my wrath on him as if I were my father. One more thing that I had ruined. We reached the island of Crete just before noon on the seventh day. The sun threw off great sheets of light from the water, turning the sail incandescent. Around us, ships crowded the bay. Mycenaean barges, Phoenician traders, Egyptian galleys, Hittites and Ethiopians and Hesperians. All the merchants who passed through these waters wanted the rich city of Knossos as their customer, and Minus knew it. He welcomed them with wide, safe moorings and agents to collect for the privilege of using them. The inns and brothels belonged to Minos also, and the gold and jewels flowed like a great river to his hands. The captain aimed us squarely at the first mooring, kept open for royal ships. The noise and motion of the docks clattered around me, men running, shouting, heaving boxes onto decks. Polydamus spoke a word to the harbour master, then turned to us. You are to come at once, you and the craftsmen both. Daedalus gestured that I should go first. We followed Polydamus up the docks. Before us, the huge limestone stairs wavered in the heat. Men streamed past us, servants and nobles alike, their shoulders sun-darkened and bare. Above, the palace of mighty Knossos glowed on its hill like a hive. We climbed. I heard Daedalus's breaths behind me and Polydamus's in front. The steps were worn smooth from years of endless hurrying feet. At last we reached the top and crossed the threshold into the palace. The blinding light vanished. Cool darkness flowed over my skin. Daedalus and Polydamus hesitated, blinking. My eyes were not mortal and needed no time to adjust. I saw at once the beauty of that place, even greater than the last time I had come. The palace was like a hive indeed each hall leading to an ornate chamber and each chamber to another hall. Windows were cut in the walls to let in thick squares of golden sun. Intricate murals unrolled themselves on every side, dolphins and laughing women, boys gathering flowers and deep-chested bulls tossing their horns. Outside in tiled pavilions, silver fountains ran, and servants hurried among columns reddened with hematite. Over every doorway hung a labyrinth, the double axe of Minus, I remembered that he had given Pasiphae a necklace with a labrys pendant at their wedding. She had held it as if it were a worm, and when the ceremony came, her neck bore only her own onyx and amber. Polydamus guided us through the twisting passages towards the queen's quarters. There it was more lavish still, the paintings rich with ochre and blue copper, but the windows had been covered over. Instead, there were golden torches and leaping braziers, Cunningly recessed skylights let in light, but no glimpse of sky. Daedalus's work, I supposed. Pasiphae had never liked our father's prying gaze. Polydamus stopped before a door scrolled with flowers and waves. The queen is within, he said, and knocked. We stood in the still and shadowed air. I could hear nothing beyond that heavy wood, but I became aware of Daedalus's ragged breath beside me. His voice was low. Lady he said. I have offended you and I am sorry. But I am sorrier still for what you will find inside. I wish, 
the door opened. A handmaid stood breathless before us, her hair pinned in the Cretan style at the top of her head. The queen is in her labors, she began, but my sister's voice cut across her. Is it them? At the room's center, Pasifaye lay on a purple couch. Her skin gleamed with sweat and her belly was shockingly distended, swollen out like a tumor from her slender frame. I had forgotten how vivid she was, how beautiful. Even in her pain, she commanded the room, drawing all the light to herself, leeching the world around her pale as mushrooms. She had always been the most like our father. I stepped through the door. Twelve dead, I said. Twelve men for a joke and your vanity. She smirked, rising up to meet me. It seemed only fair to let Scylla have her chance at you, don't you think? Let me guess. You tried to change her back. She laughed at what she saw in my face. Oh, I knew you would. You made a monster and all you can think of is how sorry you are. Alas, poor mortals, I have put them in danger. She was as quicksilver cruel as ever. It was a relief of sorts. It was you who put them in danger, I said. But you are the one who failed to save them. Tell me, did you weep as you watched them die? I forced my voice to stay even. You are in error, I said. I saw no men die. The twelve were lost on the way out. She did not even pause. No matter, more will die on every ship that passes. She tapped a finger to her chin. How many do you think it will be? In a year? A hundred? A thousand? She was showing her mink teeth, trying to get me to melt like all those naiads in Oceanus's halls. But there was no wound she could give me that I had not already given myself. This is not the way to get my help, Pasifaye. Your help? Please, I am the one who got you off that sand spit of an island. I hear you sleep with lions and boars for company. But that's an improvement for you, isn't it, after Glaucus the Squid? If you don't need me, I said, I will happily go back to my sand spit. Oh, come, sister, don't be so sour, it's only a jest. And look how grown you are, slipping past Scylla. I knew I was right to call you instead of that braggart Aetes. You can stop making that face. I've already set aside gold for the families of the men who were lost. Gold does not give back a life. I can tell you are not a queen. Believe me, most of the families would rather have the gold. Now, are there any other? But she did not finish. She grunted and dug her nails into the arm of a handmaiden kneeling at her feet. I had not noticed the girl before, but I saw now that the skin of her arm was purple and smeared with blood. Out, I said to her, out, all, this is no place for you. I felt a spurt of satisfaction at how fast the attendants fled. I faced my sister. Well, her face was still contorted with pain. What do you think? It's been days and it hasn't even moved. It needs to be cut out. She threw back her robes, revealing the swollen skin. A ripple passed across the surface of her belly from left to right, then back again. I knew little of childbirth. I had never attended my mother, nor any of my cousins. A few things I remembered hearing. Have you tried pushing from your knees? Of course I've tried it, she screamed as the spasm came again. I've had eight children, just cut the fucking thing out of me. From my bag, I drew out a pain draft. Are you stupid? I'm not going to be put to sleep like some infant. Give me the willow bark. Willow is for headaches, not surgery. Give it to me. 
I gave it, and she drained the bottle. Daedalus, she said. Take up the knife. I had forgotten he was there. He stood in the doorway, very still. Pacifier, I said. Do not be perverse. You sent for me, now use me. She laughed, a savage sound. You think I trust you with that? You are for after. Anyway, it is fitting that Daedalus should do it. He knows why, don't you, craftsman? Will you tell my sister now, or shall we let it be a surprise? I will do it, Daedalus said to me. It is my task. He stepped to the table and took up the knife. The blade was honed to a hair's edge. She seized his wrist. Just remember, she said. Remember what I will do if you think to go astray. He nodded mildly, though for the first time I saw something like anger in his eyes. She drew her nail across the lower portion of her belly, leaving a red slice. There, she said. The room was hot and close. I felt my hands slicked with sweat. How Daedalus held that knife so steady, I do not know. The tip bit into my sister's skin and blood welled, red and gold mixed. His arms were taut with effort, his jaw set. It took a long time for my sister's immortal flesh fought back. But Daedalus cut on with utmost concentration, and at last the glistening muscles parted and the flesh beneath gave way. The path lay bare to my sister's womb. Now you, she said, looking at me. Her voice was hoarse and torn. Get it out! The couch beneath her was sopping. The room was filled with the overripe stink of her ambrosial blood. Her belly had stopped rippling when Daedalus began to cut. It was tensed now, as if it were waiting, I thought. I looked at my sister. What is in there? Her golden hair was matted. What do you think? A baby? I put my hands to that gap in her flesh. The blood pulsed hot against me. Slowly, I pressed through the muscles and the wet. My sister made a strangled croak. I searched in that slickness, and at last there it was, the soft mass of an arm, a relief. I could not even say what I had feared, just a baby. I have it, I said. My fingers inched upwards for purchase. I remember telling myself that I must be careful to find its head. I did not want it twisted when I began to pull. Pain burst in my fingers, so shocking I could not cry out. I thought some scrambled thing that Daedalus must have dropped the scalpel inside of her, that a bone had broken in her labor and stabbed me. But the pain clamped harder, driving deep into my hand, grinding. Teeth. It was teeth. I did scream then. I tried to jerk my hand away, but it had me fast in its jaws. In a panic, I yanked. The lips of my sister's wound parted and the thing slid forth. It thrashed like a fish on a hook and muck flew across our faces. My sister was shrieking. The thing was like an anchor dragging on my arm. I felt my finger joints tearing. I screamed again, the agony white hot, and fell on top of the creature, scrabbling for its throat with my hand. When I found it, I bore down, pinning its body beneath me, its heels beat on the stone, its head twisted side to side. At last, I saw it clear, the nose broad and flat, shining wetly with birth fluid, the shaggy, thick face crowned with two sharp horns. Below the froggy baby body bucked with unnatural strength. Its eyes were black and fixed on mine. Dear gods, I thought, what is it? 
The creature made a choking sound and opened its mouth. I snatched my hand away, bloody and mangled. I had lost my last two fingers and part of a third. The thing's jaw worked, swallowing what it had taken. Its chin wrenched in my grip, trying to bite me again. A shadow beside me, Daedalus, pale and blood spattered. I'm here. The knife, I said. What are you doing? Do not hurt him, he must live. My sister was struggling on her couch, but she could not rise with her muscles cut. The cord, I said. It still ran gristle thick between the creature and my sister's womb. He soared at it. My knees were wet where I knelt. My hands were a mass of broken pain and blood. Now a blanket, I said. A sack. He brought a thick wool coverlet, laid it on the floor beside me. With my torn fingers, I dragged the thing into its center. It fought still, moaning angrily, and twice I nearly lost it, for it seemed to have grown stronger even in those moments. But Daedalus gathered up the corners, and when he had them, I jerked my hands away. The creature thrashed in the blanket folds, unable to find purchase. I took the ends from him, lifting it off the floor. I could hear the rasp of Daedalus's breath. A cage, he said. We need a cage. Get one, I said. I will hold it. He ran. Inside its sack, the creature twisted like a snake. I saw its limbs lined against the fabric, the thick head, the points of horns. Daedalus returned with a birdcage, the finches still fluttering inside, but it was stout and large enough. I stuffed the blanket in and he clanged shut the door. He threw another blanket over it and the creature was hidden. I looked at my sister. She was covered in blood, her belly a slaughter yard. The drips fell wetly to the sodden rug beneath. Her eyes were wild. You did not hurt it. I stared at her. Are you mad? It tried to eat my hand. Tell me how such an abomination came to be. Stitch me up. No, I said. You will tell me, or I will let you bleed yourself dry. Bitch, she said. But she was wheezing. The pain was wearing her away. Even my sister had an end in her, a place she could not go. We stared at each other, yellow eyes to yellow. Well, Daedalus, she said at last. It is your moment. Tell my sister whose fault this creature is. He looked at me, face weary and streaked with blood. Mine, he said. It is mine. I am the reason this beast lives. From the cage, a wet, chewing sound. The finches had gone silent. The god sent a bull, pure white, to bless the kingdom of Minas. The queen admired the creature and desired to see it more closely. Yet it ran from any who came near. So I built the hollow likeness of a cow, with a place inside for her to sit. I gave it wheels so we might roll it to the beach while the creature slept. I thought it would only be... It did not... Oh, please, my sister spat. The world will be ended before you stammer to your finish. I fucked the sacred bull, all right? Now get the thread. I stitched my sister up. Soldiers came, their faces carefully blank, and bore the cage to an inner closet. My sister called after them. No one goes near it without my word, and give it something to eat. Silent handmaids rolled up the soaked rug and carried off the ruined couch as if they did such work every day. They burned frankincense and sweet violets to mask the stench, then bore my sister to the bath. The gods will punish you, I had told her while I sewed. But she had only laughed with a giddy lushness. Don't you know, she had said. The gods love their monsters. 
Her words made me start. You talk to Hermes. Hermes? What does he have to do with it? I don't need some Olympian to tell me what is plain before my face. Everyone knows it, she smirked. Except for you, as usual. A presence at my side brought me back. Daedalus. We were alone for the first time since he had come to my island. There were drops of brown spattered across his forehead. His arms were smeared to the elbow. May I bandage your fingers? No, I said. Thank you, they will fix themselves. Lady, he hesitated. I am in your debt for all my days. If you had not come, it would have been me. His shoulders were taut, tensed as if against a blow. The last time he had thanked me, I had stormed at him. But now I understood more. He, too, knew what it was to make monsters. I'm glad it was not, I said. I nodded at his hands, crusted and stained like everything else. Yours cannot grow back. He lowered his voice. Can the creature be killed? I thought of my sister shrieking to be careful. I don't know. Pasifae seems to believe it can. But even so, it is the child of the white bull. It may be guarded by a god. Or it may bring down a curse upon any who harm it. I need to think. He rubbed at his scalp, and I saw the hope of an easy solution drain from him. I must go make another cage then. That one won't hold it long. He left. The gore was drying stiff upon my cheeks, and my arms were greasy with the creature's stink. I felt clouded and heavy, sick from the pollution of so much blood. If I called the handmaids, they would bring me to a bath, but I knew that would not be enough. Why had my sister made such an abomination? And why summon me? Most Nyads would have fled, but one of the Nereids might have done it. They were used to monsters. Or Percy's, why had she not called for him? My mind had no answers. It was limp and dulled, useless as my missing fingers. One thought came clear. I must do something. I could not stand by while a horror was loosed upon the world. I had the thought that I should find my sister's workroom. Perhaps there would be something there to help me, some antidote, some great drug of reversal. It was not far, a hall off her bedchamber separated by a curtain. I had never seen another witch's craft room before, and I walked its shelves, expecting I do not know what. A hundred grisly things, kraken livers, dragon's teeth, the flayed skin of giants. But all I saw were herbs, and rudimentary ones at that, poisons, poppies, a few healing roots. I had no doubt that my sister could work plenty with them, for her will had always been strong. But she was lazy, and here was the proof. Those few simples were old and weak as dead leaves. They had been collected haphazardly, some in bud, some already withered, cut with any knife at any time of day. I understood something then. My sister might be twice the goddess I was, but I was twice the witch. Her crumbling trash could not help me, and my own herbs from Aiaia would not be enough, strong as they were. The monster was bound to Crete, and whatever would be done, Crete must guide me. I traced back through the halls and corridors to the palace center. There I had seen stairs that ran not to the harbor, but inland, to the wide, bright gardens and pavilions, which in turn opened out to distant fields. All around, busy men and women swept flagstones, picked fruits, hefted their baskets of barley. They kept their eyes diligently lowered as I went. I suppose living with Minos and Pasifae, they had grown used to ignoring bloodier things than me. 
I passed the outlying houses of peasants and shepherds, the groves and grazing herds. The hills were lush and so golden with sun that the light seemed to rise from them, but I did not stop to savor the view. My eyes were fixed upon the black outline that stood against the sky. Mount Dicti, it is called. No bears or wolves or lions dared to tread there, only the sacred goats, their great horns curling like conch shells. Even in the hottest season, the forests remained dark and cool. At night, the huntress Artemis is said to roam its hills with her shining bow, and in one of its shadowed caves, Zeus himself was born and hidden from his devouring father. There are herbs there that grow nowhere else. They are so rare, few have been given names. I could feel them swelling in their hollows, breathing tendrils of magic into the air. A small yellow flower with a green center, a drooping lily that bloomed orange-brown, and best of all, Ferd Dittany, queen of healing. I did not walk as a mortal walks, but as a god, and the miles fell away beneath my feet. It was dusk when I reached the foothills and began to climb. The branches laced over me. The shade rose deep as water tingling across my skin. The whole mountain seemed to hum beneath me. Even bloodied and aching as I was, I felt a spurt of giddiness. I traced the mosses, the hummocks of ground upwards and at the base of a white poplar, I found a blooming patch of dittany. Its leaves were threaded with power and I pressed them to my broken fingers. The spell took hold with a word. My hand would be whole by morning. I gathered some of the roots and seeds for my bag and kept on. A stink and weight of blood hung still upon me, and at last I found a pool, cold and clear, fed by icy melt. I welcomed the shock of its waters, their clean, scouring pain. I worked those small rites of purification which all gods know. With pebbles from the bank, I scrubbed the filth away. After, I sat on the bank beneath the silvered leaves and thought of Daedalus's question. Can the creature be killed? Among the gods, there are a few who have the gift of prophecy, the ability to peer into the murk and glimpse what fates will come. Not everything may be foreseen. Most gods and mortals have lives that are tied to nothing. They tangle and wend now here, now there, according to no set plan. But then there are those who wear their destinies like nooses, whose lives run straight as planks, however they try to twist. It is these that our prophets may see. My father has such foreknowledge, and I had heard it said all my life that the trait was passed to his children also. I had never thought to test it. I had been raised to think I had none of his strengths. But now I touched the water and said, show me. An image formed, delicate and pale, as if made from curls of mist. A smoking torch bobbed in long corridors, a thread unwound through a stone passage. The creature roared, showing its unnatural teeth. It stood tall as a man, dressed in rotting scraps. A mortal, sword in hand, leapt from the shadows to strike it dead. The mist ebbed, and the pool cleared again. I had my answer, but it was not the one I had hoped for. The creature was mortal, but it could not die as an infant by my hand or Daedalus's. It had a fate, many years in the future, and must live it out. Until then, it could only be contained. That would be Daedalus's work, 
yet there might be a way for me to help him. I paced among the shadowed trees, thinking of that creature and what weaknesses it might have. I remembered its black eyes fixed ravening on mine, its sucking hunger as it fought for my hand. How much would it take to sate that appetite? If I had not been a god, it would have crawled up my arm, consuming me inch by inch. I felt an idea rise in me. I would need all the secret herbs of Dicti, and with them the strongest binding weeds, ilex root and withy, fennel and hemlock, aconite, hellebore. I would need as well the rest of my moly stores. I slipped through those trees, unerring, hunting down each ingredient in its turn. If Artemis walked that night, she kept out of my way. I carried the leaves and roots back to the pool and ground them on its rocks. The paste I gathered in one of my bottles and added some of the pool's water. Its waves still bore the blood it had washed from my hands, mine and my sister's too. As if it knew, the draft swirled red and dark. I did not sleep that night. I stayed on Dicti until the sky went gray and then went walking back to Knossos. By the time I reached the palace, the sun was bright on the fields. I passed a courtyard that had caught my eye the day before and stopped now to examine it more closely. In it was a great dancing circle, ringed by laurels and oaks for shade from the beating sun. I had thought its floor was made of stone, but now I saw it was wood, a thousand tiles of it, so smoothed and varnished that they seemed like a single piece. They were painted with a spiral, traveling outwards from its center like the furling crest of a wave. Daedalus's work, it could be no other. A girl was dancing on it. No music played, yet her feet kept perfect time, each step the beat of a silent drum. She moved like a wave herself, graceful, but with relentless driving motion. On her head shone the circlet of a princess. I would have known her anywhere. The girl from Daedalus's prow. Her eyes widened when she saw me, just like her statues. She bowed her head. Aunt Circe, she said. I am glad to meet you. I am Ariadne. I could see pieces of pacifier in her, but only if I searched. Her chin, the delicacy of her collarbone. You are skilled, I said. She smiled. Thank you. My parents are looking for you. No doubt, but I must find Edelus. She nodded, as if I were only one of a thousand who wanted him instead of her parents. I will take you, but we must be careful. The guards are out looking. She slipped her fingers into mine, warm and a little damp from her exercise. Through dozens of narrow side passages she led me, her feet silent on the stones. We came at last to a bronze door. She beat six times in a rhythm. I cannot play now, Ariadne, a voice called. I'm busy. I am with the Lady Circe, she said. The door swung open, revealing Daedalus, sooty and stained. Behind him was a workroom, half open to the sky. I saw statues with their cloths still on them, gears and instruments I did not recognize. At the back, a foundry smoked, and metal glowed hot in a mold. A fish spine lay on a table, a strange, jagged blade beside it. I have been to Mount Dicti, I said. I have glimpsed the creature's fate. It can die, but not now. A mortal will come who is destined to dispatch it. I do not know how long it may be. The creature was full grown in my vision. I watched the knowledge settle on him. All the days ahead that he must be on his guard. He drew a breath. So we contain it then. 
Yes, I have brewed a charm that will help. It craves... I paused, feeling Ariadne behind me. It craves that flesh you saw it eat. It is part of its nature. I cannot take away that hunger, but I may set bounds upon it. Anything, he said. I am grateful. Do not be grateful yet, I said. For three seasons of the year, the spell will keep its appetite at bay. But every harvest it will return and must be fed. His eyes flicked to Ariadne behind me. I understand, he said. The rest of the time it will still be dangerous, but only as a savage beast might be. He nodded, but I saw he was thinking of harvest time and the feeding that must come. He glanced at the molds behind him, tinged red with heat. I will be finished with the cage tomorrow morning. Good, I said. It cannot come too soon. I will work the spell then. When the door closed, Ariadne stood waiting. You were speaking of the baby that was born, were you not? He is the one that must be kept until he is killed. He is. The servants say he's a monster. My father shouted at me when I asked about him. But he is still my brother, is he not? I hesitated. I know about my mother and the white bull, she said. No child of pacifiers could remain innocent for long. I suppose you may say he is your half-brother, I said. Now come, take me to the king and queen. Griffins preened, delicate and regal on the walls. The windows spilled sun. My sister lay on her silver couch, glowing with health. Beside her, on an alabaster chair, Minos looked old and puffed, like something left dead in the waves. His eyes seized on me as snatcher birds take fish. Where have you been? The monster needs tending. That is why you were brought here. I have made a draft, I said, so we may transfer it to its new cage more safely. A draft? I want it killed. Darling, you sound hysterical, Pacify said. You haven't even heard my sister's idea. Go on, Cersei, please. She rested her chin on her hand, theatrically expectant. It will bind the creature's hunger for three seasons of each year. That's it? Now, Minus, you'll hurt Cersei's feelings. I think it's a very fine spell, sister. My son's appetite is a bit unwieldy, isn't it? He's gone through most of our prisoners already. I want the creature dead, and that is final. It cannot be killed, I told Minos. Not now. It has a destiny far in the future. A destiny? My sister clapped delightedly. Oh, tell us what it is. Does it escape and eat someone we know? Minos paled, though he tried to hide it. Be sure, he said to me. You and the craftsman, be sure it is secure. Yes, my sister crooned. Be sure. I hate to think what would happen if it got out. My husband may be a son of Zeus, but his flesh is thoroughly mortal. The truth is, she lowered her voice to a whisper, I think he may be afraid of the creature. A hundred times I had seen some fool caught between my sister's claws. Minos took it worse than most. He stabbed a finger through the air at me. You hear? She threatens me openly. This is your fault, you and your whole lying family. Your father gave her to me as if she were a treasure, but if you knew the things she has done to me. Oh, tell her some of them. I think Cersei would appreciate the witchcraft. What about the hundred girls who died while you heaved over them? I could feel Ariadne very still beside me. I wished she were not there. The hate in Minos's eyes 
was a living thing. Foul harpy. It was your spell that caused their deaths. All you breed is evil. I should have ripped that beast from your cursed womb before it could be born. But you did not dare, did you? You know how your dear father Zeus dotes on such creatures. How else can all his bastard heroes win their reputations? She cocked her head. In fact, shouldn't you be slavering to take up a sword yourself? Oh, but I forgot. You have no taste for killing unless it is serving girls. Sister, truly, you should learn this spell. You need only... Minos had risen from his seat. I forbid you to speak further. My sister laughed, her most silver fountain sound. It was calculated, like everything she did. Minos raged on, but I was watching her. I had dismissed her coupling with the bull as some perverse whim, but she was not ruled by appetites. She ruled with them instead. When was the last time that I had seen true emotion on her face? I recalled now that moment on her childbed, when she had cried out, her face twisted with urgency that the monster must live. Why? Not love. There was none of that in her. So the creature must somehow serve her ends. It was my hours with Hermes that helped me to an answer, all the news that he had brought me of the world. When Pasiphae had married Minos, Crete was the richest and most famous of our kingdoms. Yet since then... Every day, more mighty kingdoms were rising up. In Mycenae and Troy, Anatolia and Babylon. Since then, too, one of her brothers had learned to raise the dead, the other to tame dragons, and her sister had transformed Scylla. No one spoke of Pasiphae anymore. Now, at a stroke, she made her fading star shine again. All the world would tell the story of the Queen of Crete, maker and mother of the great flesh-eating bull. And the gods would do nothing. Think of all the prayers they would get. It's just so funny, Pacifier was saying. It took you so long to understand. Did you think they were dying from the pleasure of your exertions? From the sheer transported bliss? Believe me. I turned to Ariadne, standing beside me, silent as air. Come, I said. We are finished here. We walked back to her dancing circle. Over us, the laurels and oaks spread their green leaves. When your spell is cast, she said, my brother will not be so monstrous anymore. That is my hope, I said. A moment passed. She looked up at me, hands clasped to her chest as if she kept a secret there. Will you stay a little? I watched her dance, arms curving like wings, her strong young legs in love with their own motion. This was how mortals found fame, I thought, through practice and diligence, tending their skills like gardens until they glowed beneath the sun. But gods are born of ichor and nectar, their excellences already bursting from their fingertips. So they find their fame by proving what they can mar, destroying cities, starting wars, breeding plagues and monsters. All that smoke and savor rising so delicately from our altars. It leaves only ash behind. Ariadne's light feet crossed and recrossed the circle. Every step was perfect, like a gift she gave herself. And she smiled, receiving it. I wanted to seize her by the shoulders. Whatever you do, I wanted to say, do not be too happy. It will bring down fire on your head.
I said nothing and let her dance. Chapter 11 When the sun touched the distant fields, guards arrived to collect Ariadne. The princess is wanted by her parents. They marched her off and I was shown to my room. It was small and near the servants' quarters. This was meant, of course, to be an insult. But I liked the respite of the unpainted walls, the narrow window that showed only a sliver of the relentless sun. It was quiet as well, for all the servants crept past, knowing who lay within. The sister witch. They left food for me while I was gone and took the tray only when I was out again. I slept, and the next morning Daedalus came for me. He smiled when I opened my door, and I found myself smiling in return. One thing I could thank the creature for, the ease between us had returned. I followed him down a staircase to the twisting corridors that ran beneath the palace. We passed grain cellars, storage rooms lined with rows of pithoi, the great ceramic jars that held the palace's largesse of oil and wine and barley. Whatever became of the white bull, do you know? No. It vanished when Pacifier began to swell. The priests said it was the bull's final blessing. Today I heard someone say that the monster is a gift from the gods to help us prosper. He shook his head. They are not naturally fools. It is only that they are caught between two scorpions. Ariadne is different, I said. He nodded. I have hopes of her. Have you heard what they've decided to name the thing? The Minotaur. Ten ships go out with the announcement at noon, and ten more will go out tomorrow. Clever, I said. Minos claims it, and instead of being a cuckold, he shares in my sister's glory. He becomes the great king who begets monsters and names them after himself. Daedalus made a noise in his throat. Exactly. We had come to the large cellar room that held the creature's new cage. It was wide as a ship's deck and half as long, forged of a silver-gray metal. I put my hands to its bars, smooth and thick as saplings. I could smell the iron in it, but what more I could not tell. It is a new substance, Daedalus said. Harder to work, but more durable. Even so, it will not hold the creature forever. He is already freakishly strong and only just born. But it will give me time to devise something more permanent. The soldiers followed behind, carrying the old cage on poles to keep their distance. They set it clanging down inside the new and were gone before the echoes had faded. I went and knelt beside it. The minotaur was larger than it had been, its flesh plump, pressing at the metal lattice. Clean of birth fluids now and dry, the line between bull and baby was starker than ever, as if some madman had locked a steer's head and sewed it to a toddler. It stank of old meat, and the cage bottom rattled with long bones. I felt a wash of nausea, one of Crete's prisoners. The creature was watching me with huge eyes. It rose and snuffled forward, nose working. A moan came from it, sharp and excited. It remembered me. My smell and the taste of my flesh. It opened its squat mouth like a baby bird begging. More. I took my moment, spoke the words of power and poured the draft through the cage down its open throat. The creature choked and lunged against the bars, but even as it did, its eyes were changing, the fury in them ebbing away. I held its gaze and put out my hand. I heard Daedalus draw in a breath, but the creature did not leap for me. Its rigid limbs had loosened. 
Another moment I waited, then undid the lock and opened the cage. It shuffled a little, the bones clattering under its feet. It is all right, I murmured, whether to myself or Daedalus or the creature, I could not say. Slowly, I moved my hand towards it. Its nostrils flared. I touched its arm, and it made a huff of surprise, but nothing more. Come, I whispered, and it did, crouching and stumbling a little as it passed through the cage's small opening. It looked up at me expectantly, almost sweetly. My brother, Ariadne had called it, but this creature had not been made for any family. It was my sister's triumph, her ambition made flesh, her whip to use against Minos. In thanks, it would know no comrade, no lover. It would never see the sun, never take a free step. There was nothing it might ever have in the world but hatred and darkness and its teeth. I picked up the old cage and stepped back. It watched me as I moved away, its head tilted with curiosity. I shut the cage door and its ear flicked at the metallic sound. When harvest came, it would scream with rage. It would tear at the bars, trying to rip them apart. Daedalus let out a low breath. How did you do that? It is half beast, I said. All the animals on Iaia are tame. Can the spell be undone? Not by another. We locked the cage. All the while the creature watched us. It made a low noise and rubbed at a hairy cheek with one of its hands. Then we swung the wooden door of the room closed and saw no more. And the key? I plan to throw it away. When we have to move it, I will cut the bars. We walked back through the twisting underpassages and up to the corridors above. In the painted hall, the breeze was blowing and the air bright. Pretty nobles passed on every side, murmuring their secrets. Did they know what lived beneath them? They would. There is a feast this evening, he said. I'm not going, I said. I'm finished with the court of Crete. You are leaving soon, then. I am at the king and queen's mercy for that. They are the ones with the ships. But I imagine it will not be much longer. I think Minos will be glad to have one less witch on Crete. It will be good to be home. It was true. Yet, in those ornate corridors, the thought of returning to Aiaia was strange. Its hills and shore, the stone house with my garden, all seemed very distant. I must show my face tonight he said. Yet I hope to make my excuses before the meal, he hesitated. Goddess, I know I presume, but will you do me the honor of dining with me? He had told me to come when the moon was up. His rooms were at the opposite end of the palace from my sister's. If that was luck or design, I could not say. He wore a finer cloak than I had seen him in before, but his feet were bare. He drew me to a table, poured a wine dark as mulberries. There were platters set out, heaped with fruits and a salty white cheese. How was the feast? I am glad to be gone. His voice was curdled. They had a singer in, to tell the tale of the glorious bullman's birth. Apparently he fell from a star. A boy ran out from an inner room. I did not know mortal ages well then, but I think he may have been four. His black hair curled thick and wild around his ears, and his limbs were still babyishly round. He had the sweetest face I had ever seen, gods included.
My son, Daedalus said. I stared. I had not even considered that Daedalus's secret could be a child. The boy knelt like an infant courtier. Noble lady, he piped, I welcome you to my father's house. Thank you, I said. And are you a good boy for your father? He nodded seriously. Oh, yes. Daedalus laughed. Don't believe a word. He looks sweet as cream, but he does what he wants. The boy smiled at his father. It was an old joke between them. He stayed for some time, prattling of his father's work and how he helped. He brought out the tongs he liked to use and showed me with a practice grip how he could hold them in the fire and not be burnt. I nodded, but it was his father I watched. Daedalus's face had gone soft as ripe fruit, his eyes full and shining. I had never thought of having children, but looking at him, for a moment I could imagine it, as if I peered into a well and far below glimpsed a flash of water. My sister, of course, would have seen such love in an instant. Daedalus put his hand to his son's shoulder. Icarus, he said, it is time for bed. Go find your nurse. You will come kiss me goodnight? Of course. We watched him go, small heels brushing the hem of his too long tunic. He's handsome, I said. Oh, he has his mother's face. He answered the question before I asked it. She passed at his birth. A good woman, though I did not know her long. Your sister arranged the marriage. So I had not been so wrong after all. My sister had baited the hook, but she caught the fish another way. I'm sorry, I said. He bowed his head. It is difficult, I admit. I have done my best to be father to him and mother too, but I know he feels the lack. Every woman we pass, he asks if I will marry her. And will you? He was silent a moment. I think not. Pasiphae has enough to scourge me with already, and I would never have married in the first place if she had not insisted. I know what an unfit husband I make, for I am happiest when my hands are busy at my work, and then I come home late and filthy. Witchcraft and invention have that in common, I said. I do not think I would make a fit wife either. Not that my door is battered down. Apparently the market for disgraced sorceresses is thin. He smiled. Your sister, I think, has helped poison that well. It was easy to speak so openly with him. His face was like a quiet pool that would hold everything safe in its depths. Do you know yet how you will keep the creature when it is grown? He nodded. I've been thinking. You see what a honeycomb the palace is beneath. There are a hundred storerooms that go unused. For all the wealth of Crete is in gold these days, not grain. I think I may make them into a sort of maze, close it at both ends and let the creature roam. It is all dug in the bedrock, so there will be nowhere to break out. It was a good idea, and at least the creature would have more room than a narrow cage. It will be a marvel, I said, a maze that can hold a full-grown monster. You will have to come up with a good name for it. I am sure Minos will have a suggestion involving himself. I'm sorry that I cannot stay to help. You have helped more than I deserve. His gaze lifted to touch mine. A throat cleared. The nurse stood in the doorway. Your son, sir. Ah, Daedalus said. Excuse me. I felt too restless to sit patiently. I wandered the room. 
I had expected it to be filled with more of his wonders, statues and inlay in every corner, but it was simple, the furniture unadorned wood. Yet looking more closely, I saw Daedalus's stamp. The polish glowed, and the grain was rubbed soft as flower petals. When I passed my hand over a chair, I could not find its seams. He came back. The bedtime kiss, he explained. A happy child. Daedalus sat, drank a swallow of wine. For now, he is. He is too young to know himself a prisoner. Those white scars seem to flare on his hands. A golden cage is still a cage. And where would you go if you might escape? Wherever would have me. But if I may choose, Egypt. They are building things that make Knossos look like a mud flat. I have been learning the language from some of their traders on the docks. I think they would welcome us. I looked into his good face. Not good because it was handsome, but because it was itself like fine metal, tempered and beaten for strength. Two monsters we had fought side by side, and he had not wavered. Come to Ayaya, I wanted to say, but I knew there was nothing for him there. Instead, I told him, I hope you will get to Egypt one day. We finished our meal, and I walked the dark corridors back to my room. The evening had been pleasant, but I felt roiled and muddy, my mind like river silt stirred up from its beds. I could not stop hearing Daedalus talking of his freedom. There had been such yearning in his voice, and bitterness too. At least I had earned my exile, but Daedalus was innocent, kept only as a trophy for my sister and Minus's vanity. I thought of his eyes when he had spoken of Icarus, that pure, shining love. To my sister, it was no more than a tool, a sword to hang over his head and make him her slave. I remembered the pleasure on her face when she had ordered him to cut her open. She had had that same look when I had stepped through her door. I had been so consumed with the Minotaur that I had not seen what a triumph this had all been for her. Not just the monster and her new fame, but everything that went with it. Daedalus forced into complicity, Minos cringing and humiliated, and all of Crete held hostage to fear. And me. I was a triumph too. She might have summoned others, but I had always been the dog she liked to whip. She had known how useful I would be, dutifully cleaning her messes, protecting Daedalus, seeing the monster safely contained. And all the while she could laugh from her golden couch. Do you like my new pet? I give her nothing but blows, yet see how she runs to my whistle. My stomach burned. I turned away from my cell. I walked as a god, unseen, past the drowsing guards, past the night servants. I reached the door of my sister's room and stepped through it. I stood over her bed. She was alone. My sister trusted her sleep to none but herself. I had felt the spells when I passed the threshold, but they could not stop me. Why did you summon me here? I demanded. Let me hear you admit it. Her eyes opened at once, keen as if she had been expecting me. It was a gift, of course. Who else would have enjoyed seeing me bleed so much? I can think of a thousand. She smiled, as cats smile. It was always more fun to play with a live mouse. What a shame it is that you can't use your new binding spell on Scylla. But of course, you would need her mother's blood. I don't think that shark Cratius will oblige you. I had thought of it already. 
Pacify always knew where to aim the spear. You wanted to humiliate me, I said. She yawned, pink tongue against her white teeth. I've been thinking, she said, of naming my son Asterion. Do you like it? Starry one, it meant. Prettiest name for a cannibal I ever heard. Don't be so dramatic. He can't be a cannibal. There are no other minotaurs to eat. She frowned a little, tilting her chin. Though I wonder, do centaurs count? They must have some kinship, don't you think? I would not be drawn by her. You could have sent for Percy's. Percy's, she waved a hand. What that meant, I could not say. Or Aetes. She sat up and the covers fell from her. Her skin was bare, except for a necklace made of squares of beaten gold. Each one was embossed. A sun, a bee, an axe, the great hulk of Dicty. Oh, I hope we keep talking all night, she said. I will braid your hair and we can laugh over our suitors. She lowered her voice. I think Daedalus would have you in a minute. My anger spilled its banks. I am not your dog, Pacifier, nor your bear to be baited. I came to your aid, despite all our history, despite the men you sent to their deaths. I helped you with your monster. I have done your work for you, and all you give me is mockery and contempt. For once in your twisting life, speak the truth. You brought me here to make me your fool. Oh, that requires no effort from me, she said. You are a fool on your own. But it was reflexive, not a real answer. I waited. It is funny, she said, that even after all this time, you still believe you should be rewarded just because you have been obedient. I thought you would have learned that lesson in our father's halls. None shrank and simpered as you did, and yet great Helios stepped on you all the faster because you were already crouched at his feet. She was leaning forward, her golden hair loose, embroidering the sheets around her. Let me tell you a truth about Helios and all the rest. They do not care if you are good. They barely care if you are wicked. The only thing that makes them listen is power. It is not enough to be an uncle's favorite, to please some god in his bed. It is not enough even to be beautiful, for when you go to them and kneel and say, I have been good, will you help me? They wrinkle their brows. Oh, sweetheart, it cannot be done. Oh, darling, you must learn to live with it. And have you asked Helios? You know I knew nothing without his word. She spat upon the floor. They take what they want, and in return they give you only your own shackles. A thousand times I saw you squash. I squashed you myself, and every time I thought, that is it. She is done. She will cry herself into a stone, into some croaking bird. She will leave us, and good riddance. Yet always you came back the next day. They were all surprised when you showed yourself a witch, but I knew it long ago, despite your wet mouse weeping. I saw how you would not be ground into the earth. You loathed them as I did. I think it's where our power comes from. Her words were falling on my head like a great cataract. I could scarcely take them in. She hated our family. She had always seemed to me their distillation, a glittering monument to our blood's vain cruelty. Yet it was true what she said. Nymphs were allowed to work only through the power of others. They could expect none for themselves. If all this is so, I said, why were you so savage to me? Aetes and I were alone. You might have been friends with us. Friends, she sneered. Her lips were a perfect blood red, 
the color all the other nymphs had to paint on. There are no friends in those halls, and Aetes never liked a woman in his life. That's not true, I said. Because you think he liked you, she laughed. He tolerated you because you were a tame monkey, clapping after every word he spoke. You and Percy's were no different, I said. You know nothing of Percy's. Do you know how I had to keep him happy, the things I had to do? I did not want to hear more. Her face was naked as I had ever seen it, and every word sharp as if she had spent years carving it to just that shape. Then father gave me to that ass, Minos. Well, I could work with him, and I have. He is fixed now, but it has been a long road, and I will never go back to what I was. So you tell me, sister, whom should I have sent for instead? Some god who could not wait to scorn me and make me beg for crumbs? Or some nymph to mince uselessly across the sea? She laughed again. They would both have run screaming at the first tooth. They cannot bear any pain at all. They are not like us. The words were a shock. As if all this while her hands had been empty and now she showed her knife. Sickness flooded my throat. I stepped back. I am not like you. For a moment I saw the surprise on her face. Then it was gone, like a wave washing clean over sand. No, she said. You are not. You are like father, stupid and sanctimonious, closing your eyes to everything you do not understand. Tell me, what do you think would happen if I did not make monsters and poisons? Minos does not want a queen, only a simpering jelly he keeps in a jar and breathes to death. He would be happy to have me in chains for eternity, and he need only say the word to his own father to do it. But he does not. He knows what I would do to him first. I remember my father saying of Minos, he will keep her in her place. Yet father will only allow Minos so much license. Her laughter clawed at my ears. Father would put me in the chains himself if it would keep his precious alliance. You are proof of that. Zeus is terrified of witchcraft and wanted a sacrifice. Father picked you because you are worth the least, and now you are shot on that island and will never leave it. I should have known you would be good for nothing to me. Get out. Get out and let me not see you again. I walked back through those corridors. My mind was bare, my skin bristling as if it would rise off my flesh. Every noise, every touch, the stones beneath my feet, the splash of fountains from a window crept evilly upon my senses. The air had a stinging weight, like ocean waves. I felt myself a stranger to the world. When the figure separated from the shadows of my door, I was too numb to cry out. My hand fumbled for my bag of drafts. But then the distant torchlight fell upon his hooded face. He spoke so softly, only a god could have heard. I was waiting for you. Say but one word and I am gone. It took me a moment to understand. I had not thought him so bold, but of course he was. Artist, creator, inventor, the greatest the world had known. Timidity creates nothing. What would I have said if he had come earlier? I do not know, but his voice then was like a balm upon my raw skin. I yearned for his hands, for all of him, mortal though he was, distant and dying though he would always be. Stay, I said. We lit no tapers. 
The room was dark and warm from the day's heat. Shadows draped the bed. No frogs sounded, no birds called. It was as if we had found the still heart of the universe. Nothing moved except for us. After, we lay beside each other, the night breeze trickling over our limbs. I thought of telling him about the quarrel with Pasifaye, but I did not want her there with us. Outside, the stars were veiled, and a servant passed through the yard with a flickering torch. I thought I imagined it at first, a faint tremor shaking the room. Do you feel that? Daedalus nodded. They're never strong, a few cracks in plaster. They have been coming more often lately. It will not damage the cage. No, he said. They would have to get much worse. A moment passed. His voice came quiet through the darkness. At harvest, he said, when the creature is grown, how bad will it be? As many as fifteen in a moon. I heard his indrawn breath. I feel the weight of it every moment, he said. All those lives, I helped make that creature, and now I cannot unmake it. I knew the weight he spoke of. His hand lay beside mine. It was calloused, but not rough. In the darkness, I had run my fingers over it, searching out the faint, smooth patches that were his scars. How do you bear it? he said. My eyes gave off a faint light, and by it I could see his face. It was a surprise to realize that he was waiting for an answer, that he believed I had one. I thought of another dim room with another prisoner. He had been a craftsman also. On the foundation of his knowledge, civilization had been built. Prometheus's words, deep running as roots, had waited in me all this time. We bear it as best we can, I said. Minos was frugal with his ships, and now that the monster was contained, he made me wait on his convenience. One of my traders passes near Iaia. He sails in a few days, you may go then. I did not see my sister again except from a distance, carried to her picnics and pleasures. I did not see Ariadne either, though I looked for her at her dancing circle. I asked one of the guards if he might take me to her. I did not think I imagined his smirk. The queen forbids it. Pacifier and her petty vengeances. My face stung, but I would not give her the satisfaction of knowing her cruelty had hit home. I wondered the palace grounds, its colonnades, its walks and fields. I watched the mortals as they passed with their interesting, untamed faces. Each night, Daedalus knocked secretly at my door. It was borrowed time, we knew it, which made it all the sweeter. The guards came just after dawn on the fourth day. Daedalus had gone already, he liked to be home when Icarus woke. The men stood before me, stiff in their purple capes, looming as if I might try to break past them and escape into the hills. I followed them through the painted halls, down the great steps. Daedalus was waiting amid the chaos of the pier. Pacify will punish you for this, I said. No more than she does already. He stepped aside as the eight sheep Minus had sent as his thanks were herded onto the ship. I see the king is as generous as ever. He gestured to two huge crates already loaded on the deck. I remember you like to keep yourself busy. It is my own design. Thank you, I said. You honor me. No, he said. I know what we owe you, what I owe. 
The back of my throat burned, but I could feel the eyes watching us. I did not want to make it worse for him. Will you tell Ariadne farewell for me? I will, he said. I stepped onto the ship and lifted my hand. He lifted his. I had not fooled myself with false hope. I was a goddess, and he a mortal, and both of us were imprisoned. But I pressed his face into my mind, as seals are pressed in wax, so I could carry it with me. I did not open those crates until we were out of sight. I wish I had, so I might have thanked him properly. Inside one were undyed wools and yarns and flax of every kind. In the other, the most beautiful loom I had ever seen, made from polished cedar. I have it still. It stands near my hearth and has even found its way into the songs. Perhaps that is no surprise. Poets like such symmetries. Which Circe, skilled at spinning spells and threads alike, at weaving charms and cloth? Who am I to spoil an easy hexameter? But any wonder in my cloth comes from that loom and the mortal who made it. Even after so many centuries, its joints are strong, and when the shuttle slides through the warp, the scent of cedar fills the air. After I left, Daedalus built his great maze indeed, the labyrinth, whose walls confounded the Minotaur's rage. Harvest piled upon harvest, and the twisting passageways grew ankle-deep in bones. If you listened, the palace servant said, you could hear the creature clattering up and down. And all the while, Daedalus was working. He daubed two wooden frames with yellow wax, and onto them he pressed the feathers he had collected from the great seabirds that fed on Crete's shore, long-pinioned, wide and white. Two sets of wings they made. He tied one to his own arms and one to his son's. They stood atop the highest cliff of Knossos's shore and leapt. The ocean drafts caught them, and they were borne aloft. East they went, towards the rising sun and Africa. Icarus whooped, for by then he was a young man, and this was his first freedom. His father laughed to see him diving and wheeling. The boy rose higher still, dazzled by the sky's vastness, the sun's unfettered heat on his shoulders. He did not heed his father's cries of warning. He did not notice the melting wax. The feathers fell, and he fell after, into the drowning waves. I mourned for that sweet boy's death, but I mourned more for Daedalus, winging doggedly onwards, dragging that desperate grief behind him. It was Hermes who told me, of course, sipping my wine, his feet upon my hearth. I closed my eyes to find that impression I had made of Daedalus's face. I wished then that we had conceived a child together to be some comfort to him, but that was a young and silly thought as if children are sacks of grain to be substituted one for another. Daedalus did not long outlive his son. His limbs turned gray and nerveless, and all his strength was transmuted into smoke. I had no right to claim him, I knew it, but in a solitary life, there are rare moments when another soul dips near yours, as stars once a year brush the earth. Such a constellation was he to me. Chapter 12 We went the long way back to Ayaya, avoiding Scylla. Eleven days it took. The sky bent its arc over us, clear and bright. I stared into the blinding waves, the white flaring sun. No one disturbed me. 
The men averted their gazes when I passed, and I saw them cast a rope I had touched into the waves. I could not blame them. They lived on Knossos and knew too much of witchery already. When we landed on Ayaya, they dutifully carried the loom up through the woods and set it before my hearth. They led up the eight sheep. I offered them wine and a meal, but of course they did not accept. They hurried back to their ship, strained at their oars, eager to vanish over the horizon. I watched until the moment they winked out like a snuffed flame. The lion glared from my threshold. She lashed her tail as if to say, that had better be the last of that. I think it will be, I said. After Nossus's sunny, outflung pavilions, my house was snug as a burrow. I walked its neat rooms, feeling the silence, the stillness, the scuff of no feet but my own. I put my hand to every surface, every cupboard and cup. They were all where they had been, as they would ever be. I went out into my garden. I weeded the same weeds that always grew and planted the herbs I had gathered on Dicti. They looked strange away from their moonlit hollows, crowded in among my glossy, bright beds. Their hum seemed fainter, their colors faded. I had not considered that perhaps their powers could not survive transplanting. In the years I had lived on Ayaya, I had never chafed at my constraint. After my father's halls, the island seemed to me the wildest, most giddy freedom. Its shores, its peaks, all of them yawned out to the horizon, filled up with magic. But looking at those fragile blooms, for the first time I felt the true weight of my exile. If they died, I could harvest no more. I would never walk again the humming slopes of Dicti. I could not draw water from its silver pool. All those places Hermes had told me of. Araby, Assur, Egypt. They were lost forever. You will never leave, my sister had said. In defiance, I threw myself into my old life. I did what I liked, the moment that I thought of it. I sang upon the beaches, rearranged my garden. I called the pigs and scratched their bristled backs, brushed the sheep, and summoned wolves to lie panting on my floor. The lion rolled her yellow eyes at them, but she behaved herself. For it was my law that all my animals bear each other. Every night, I went out to dig my herbs and roots. I did whatever spells came to mind, just to feel the pleasure of them knitting in my hands. In the morning, I cut flowers for my kitchen. In the evenings, after dinner, I set myself before Daedalus's loom. It took me some time to understand it, for it was like no loom I had ever known in the halls of the gods. There was a seat, and the weft was drawn down rather than up. If my grandmother had seen, she would have offered her sea snake for it. The cloth it produced was finer than her best. Daedalus had guessed well that I would like the whole business of it. The simplicity and skill at once. The smell of the wood, the shush of the shuttle, the satisfying way weft stacked upon weft. It was a little like spell work, I thought. For your hands must be busy and your mind sharp and free. Yet my favorite part was not the loom at all, but the making of the dyes. I went hunting for the best colors, madder root and saffron, the scarlet kermes bug and the wine-dark murex from the sea, and alum powder to hold them fast in the wool. I squeezed them, pounded, soaked them in great bubbling pots until the stinking liquids foamed up bright as flowers. 
crimson and crocus yellow, and the deep purple that princes wear. If I had had Athena's skill, I could have woven a great tapestry of Iris, goddess of the rainbow, flinging down her colors from the sky. But I was not Athena. I was happy with simple scarves, with cloaks and blankets that lay like jewels upon my chairs. I draped my lion in one and called her the Queen of Phoenicia. She sat, turning her head this way and that, as if to show off how the purple made her fur shine gold. You will never see Phoenicia. I rose from my stool and made myself walk the island, admiring the changes every hour brought, the water striders skimming over the ponds, the stones rolled green and smooth by river currents, the bees flying low, freighted with pollen. The bays were full of lashing fish, the seeds broke from their pods. My dittany, my lilies from Crete, they thrived after all. See, I said to my sister. It was Daedalus who answered, a golden cage is still a cage.